This is the Monday, August 1st, 2016 episode of The History Author Show. Visit our iHeartRadio channel or subscribe on iTunes to enjoy a brand new interview every Monday morning, as well as Classical Wisdom Wednesdays and History in Five Fridays. This is the Monday, July 18th, 2016 episode of The History Author Show. Visit our iHeartRadio channel or subscribe on iTunes to enjoy a brand new interview every Monday morning, as well as Classical Wisdom Wednesdays and History in Five Fridays. Oh, New York ain't New York anymore. How I miss those old pals of mine. The sawdust is gone from the floor. Where we harmonize, sweet Adeline, on the east side, west side, things ain't like before. There are tears in the eyes of the regular guys, oh, New York ain't New York anymore. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Dean Carianis, and this is the History Author Show on iHeartRadio. Today, our time machine takes us out to the ballgame, where we'll root, root, root for the Brooklyn Dodgers. When Dem Bums signed Jackie Robinson as the first African-American player in Major League history, the whole country was up in arms. Sitting next to us in the 50-cent grandstand seats is author Jeff Griffin, author of the children's book, Brooklyn Bat Boy, a story of the 1947 season that changed baseball forever. For adults, it's common to see Robinson's struggle to break the color barrier as inevitable. But Jeff's book looks at the challenges Robinson faced through the eyes of a 12-year-old boy. Bobby Kelly doesn't have the power to even have his own opinion on the matter, and he just wants to root for his favorite team. He's also the Bat Boy in the title. Brooklyn Bat Boy is perfect reading for kids the fictional Bobby's age or those as young as eight. The author, Jeff Griffin, has worked as a lawyer, special education teacher, journalist, and editor. You've seen his essays published in anthologies and heard him as co-host of the award-winning Travel Brigade radio show and podcast. Brooklyn Bat Boy is his very first work of fiction, so we're especially happy to share it with him today. You can enjoy more by visiting brooklynbatboy.com, facebook.com slash brooklynbatboy, or following him at, you guessed it, Brooklyn Bat Boy on Twitter or Instagram. Okay, we've picked up some peanuts and Cracker Jacks and some cold beer here, at least the adults among us. Now, let's go back to Ebbets Field 70 years ago in Brooklyn with Jeff Griffin, where we'll meet Brooklyn Bat Boy Bobby Kelly. I'm joined on the line by Jeff Griffin, author of Brooklyn Bat Boy, a story of the 1947 season that changed baseball forever. Thank you for making time to talk with the History Author Show today. Thank you very much for having me. Jeff, every book starts being judged by its cover, even though, of course, we tell people they shouldn't do exactly that. But I have to mention the one for Brooklyn Bat Boy because it really is a work of art. And like good writing gets several things done at once, talk about how this design really does get a lot of things done because I take it your research inspired the cover. Yeah, the cover really was a pleasant surprise. 
I have to give a lot of the credit to my wife, Kathleen, for coming up with a lot of the ideas for it. We used a designer named Kit Foster, who is actually, it's kind of funny, he lives in Scotland, has no idea about baseball <laughs> or anything like that. But yet I felt like he did really capture the history of it and kind of give you a good idea about the main character, Bobby Kelly, who's the Bat Boy. And we had originally thought of kind of having a backdrop of Abbott's field and a silhouette of a kid in a Dodger uniform. But Kathleen put one photo in that she sent to him, which was of a redheaded kid, which Bobby's Irish American, and said, this is what we picture him looking like. And Kit came up with the kid that's on the cover swinging a bat, then with kind of a historical New York in the background. So the whole thing just kind of really captured the essence of the time and the history and, and what the book's about. So we were really pleased with it. And before we get too far into talking about something that maybe our listeners haven't seen yet, they can go to brooklynbatboy.com and see it, and hopefully they were doing it right there, and we tricked them into going and checking out the book. <laughs> but not that it requires any trickery to pick up this book, because it really is a lot of fun. But it's a picture, as you said, a redheaded boy with just the Dodgers hat with the B on it, swinging the bat. And when you read the book, you get a feeling for why even the bat is significant, which right. these were kids that would have played stickball, so they wouldn't have had a real bat. But Bobby does get a bat somehow in the course of the book that people will experience with him. What a joy that would have been. And I thought that it captures that idea of just a kid in the neighborhood, a kid from Brooklyn. He, there you could see some of the street signs behind him. Really a great cover. And I thought, way to kick it off right there because people will pick that up. It just draws your eye right away. Baseball is such a part of the American experience. It's something that you managed to get somebody from a whole other country who even picked it up just from what you were able to send. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, baseball transcends so many uh, different areas. It is something that people see as truly American and is really part of our history. Like the Jackie Robinson story is such a big part of baseball history, but also American history. Brooklyn Bat Boy is your first novel. So Jackie Robinson, iconic. It's easy to be drawn into a story like that. He's kind of the ultimate underdog and he's fighting against an evil system here. What drew you to share this story and to share it with kids? Well, I had worked as a sports writer and as an elementary school teacher, and so kind of merged the two of a, a sports book for kids. And when it came to, okay, who's somebody in sports history that I would like kids to know more about? I mean, it was a no-brainer. It's Jackie Robinson. It's the most important sports story in American history. And it's not only that, it's a great story. It's got a hero. It's got good triumphing over evil. And I wanted to tell it through a kid's perspective because kids see the world in kind of a different way than we adults who have some experience under our belts do. Bobby Kelly is fictional, as you said, although there were a million kids just like him running around Brooklyn. But you based him on real facts of the time, especially inside Ebbets Field. Now, people who are outside the New York area are not baseball fans may not know that Ebbets Field is long gone. Right. Brooklyn <laughs> itself has changed very much over time. The Dodgers aren't even there anymore. They're all the way out in Los Angeles. Yeah. So what sort of things did you read to flesh out not just the neighborhoods of the time, but you had to go into the locker room and the dugout of a place that no longer exists? Yeah. There were a lot of great books about the Brooklyn Dodgers from that time. One that was really helpful to me was by Jonathan Eig. It's called Opening Day, and it goes through that 1947 season on almost a day-by-day -day basis. And that really helped me because the book really just encompasses 
the first season of Jackie Robinson's career. And so you can look through that book and find out that on June 8th, this happened. So that was really helpful. Another really good book for people who are interested in finding out more about that is a book called Our Bums by David Krell, the the Brooklyn Dodgers fans referred to their team lovingly. They meant it as a, as a compliment, as our bums. And uh, David Krell's written a great history of that. I also read some autobiographies of people like Pete Hamill, who are writers who grew up in Brooklyn during that time to kind of get a sense of some of their childhood memories, what a kid would have been doing in Brooklyn at that time. So there's a lot of great books out there about the Brooklyn Dodgers. Like I said, those two by Jonathan Eigen and David Krell really stood out. The name, by the way, comes from Trolley Dodgers, everybody. Right. <laughs> before that, they were the Super Boss, correct? Correct, yeah. Were they the millionaires, or was that um, the... I don't think that... I think at one point, they were the bridegrooms, too. <laughs> ah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. They had some pretty cool names yeah. back then. Yeah, Before Ty Cobb, we interviewed Charles Learson of Ty Cobb, The Terrible Beauty. Before, when he comes in, even, people aren't playing it professionally. A lot of them are just sort of joking around and running around and not treating it as if this is my profession. But by the time Bobby Kelly's world is shaken by the adding of an African-American to the team in 1947, baseball is the national pastime. My dad always, when we drive out to Astoria for Greek food, will point out where Ebbets Field was. There's very little of it today. There's some steps, I think, just. Yeah, isn't there an apartment complex there now? Yes, there is. Bad to say, but yeah. yeah. We shared a picture on Twitter there where they superimposed it over the yes, the, I remember seeing that. Yeah, modern, yeah, but it really was. My dad used to say the restaurant would be everybody listening to the radio. Everybody would just stop working. Everything would be about baseball. So this is really a slice of life, but from a perspective that we don't see. We don't see what kids would have thought at the time. And the way you bring Bobby Kelly in there, he makes innocent observations that you never thought of as an adult, or you don't let yourself think of sometimes, frankly. But Bobby Kelly sees Jackie Robinson in a Dodgers uniform, and he thinks he looks out of place because of his color. And I know when there were players of African descent that first made it in the NHL, mostly Canadians, at first, yeah, that would be very different. Tiger Woods was the same thing in golf. And now, of course, it doesn't matter at all. There's a lot of Russians. At the time, there was the Cold War, too, so we didn't have any Russians playing in the NHL. Slava Fetisov had to break that barrier to get in. Jackie Robinson, of course, faces a much stronger opposition to his playing. People don't think he can do it. They don't want him there. But Bobby Kelly, with these innocent observations, you were able to open the eyes of children today. I wanted to ask if you had to pull some of your punches in describing just what Robinson endured that first season. Yeah, no, he. Uh, it's kind of interesting because kids, when they're faced with something totally new. And in 1947, an African-American playing for the Dodgers was something totally new. It's almost like they can't get their heads around it. They don't really go after, is it right? Is it wrong? It's just kind of, wait a minute, what is this? And I did try to bring out through some of the scenes where Bobby goes through some hate mail that's been sent to Robinson. Bobby sees Robinson get spiked by one of the Cardinals Bobby sees pitchers throwing at Robinson and hears other players jeering him. So I did try to show it through that way. But in terms of what Bobby's actually thinking, I think in 1947 there were people who were for integration, people who were against it. And then I think there were a lot of people who just kind of weren't really sure how this was all going to work out. And I think that's where Bobby's coming from. He's not really sure what's going to happen. 
And he kind of reflects what happened with a lot of Americans in that summer of 1947 in that they started out very unsure about whether this could work and, of course, ended up falling in love with Jackie Robinson. I thought that the road that you have him take also with his parents was one that children could relate to and maybe one that as adults we could note. There's a thing in The Simpsons where Homer tells Apu, kids are great, Apu. You can teach them to hate the things you hate. (laughs) And it's hilarious when Homer Simpson says it or when you're not one of those people. Bobby's parents aren't particularly hateful, but they're not open to the idea at first. They just have sort of absorbed rather this idea that he cannot play. And so this is something that he struggles with. He wants to obey his parents. Kids always love their parents. And he has to take this journey and he's worried his father's going to come to the game and see him interacting with Jackie Robinson, see him treating him like the other players. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? And I think all children can relate to that because you want to Look at your parents as a moral compass, and all parents can too. Because you're in 1947, you're also having to speak like the people of the time. And there's one word, of course, that today nobody says. It ruins careers, and rightfully so. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say nobody. Just some people say it, but mostly in music and things like that. But it's still off-putting even to people who are African-American. For Bobby, you avoid it, and I thought you avoided it in a very clever way by having him describe it but never having it appear in the book. How did you come up with that thought? I imagine that's something that you struggled with. Yeah, no, that was something I had to think about. I did sort of want to infer that it happened, and Bobby describes it as, you know, they were using this word. He'd heard people around his neighborhood use it, but he'd never actually seen somebody actually yell at it, somebody. And I just felt like that word, particularly the way it was being hurled at Jackie Robinson in 1947, had so much history and hatred behind it that I didn't just want to put it in a book for kids and not have them have any sort of context about it. And so I figured that kind of one of two things will happen. One, they'll just kind of plow through it and think, huh, what was that about? And just keep going with the story. But if it is something that they're really wondering about, hopefully they'll go ask their parents or a teacher or an adult that they trust who can really sort of unpack that for them and talk about why that would have been such a horrible thing and everything that that word stood for and still stands for. I didn't want to just leave it out there and not have a way to say all that to kids. It also tells you something about the neighborhood Bobby's growing up in, which is what good writing does. Every word, every sentence, every scene should do more than one thing. And you're not only here invoking the word and how it cannot be spoken in the way that Bobby thinks of it. How could they be yelling at people? But it tells you that there are no African-Americans living in his neighborhood, which is something that is mentioned in the book. But that invokes it in a way that he has no idea how to just interact with an African-American and one that he's having his dream job with. What a great place to put him in, just sort of to put him in this world where he's a bad boy. Yeah. He goes from having his dream job to he sort of at the beginning feels like he's got this dream job and then Jackie Robinson's just sort of making everything difficult for him. <laughs> and that's yeah. another way that kids think, you know, they, the world revolves around them. And here his life's dream has come true. He's the bad boy for the Brooklyn Dodgers. But yet he's hearing his dad say things about Jackie Robinson that aren't good. He's got a kid in his neighborhood who's making fun of him for having to uh, pick up after a black man. And so at the beginning, he just sort of wishes Robinson would go away, not out of any particular racial hostility or anything, but just he's just making his life difficult. (laughs) 
It's confusing. He doesn't. No one wants to be forced to think about things or come out of their comfort zone, yeah. which is certainly what yeah. happens to Bobby. Yeah. Speaking of words, you include a glossary of slang in Brooklyn Bat Boy. So how did you manage to strike that balance? Because Peggy Noonan has written a few times because she lives in Brooklyn. She says that there's always a character from Brooklyn in any World War II movie. And there's a reason why, because you just love to hear people exactly. with that accent in the 40s speak, right? Yeah. So how did you come up with your method of sort of balancing, using it, but not using it too much, and then decide to include a glossary in the book? Yeah, in different drafts of the book, I think probably gradually pared it down a little bit because you want to have it there as a concept and introduce that to kids, but you don't want to make it difficult to read either. So did some research and came up with some phrases and things. I also have an 84-year-old father-in-law who's East Coast Irish, and I sort of hear his voice with a lot of this, the things he says. And so we use a lot of these different phrases like knuckleheads, knuckle sandwich, don't go breaking the devil's dishes, things like that. And we thought, well, it'd be fun for kids to be able to look it up in the back end glossary. I think they'll kind of get the gist of it when they read through because it's in the context of something that's happening. But we thought it would be fun if they had a glossary in the back and they could go back and look up the words. Uh, one other word that I hadn't heard in many years was Spaldines. That comes up in Brooklyn Bat Boy a few times. And I have to say it was a fond memory. And I think a lot of people who grew up in a certain age will remember that pink ball that you play various games with, in this case, stickball. But I always want to point out that writing for children is not child's play. So how about you dispel this myth a little bit that your focus of writing on children doesn't mean that it's childlike. You have to get in details there like the Spalding without having it be at the expense of a plot moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And one of the fun things about this book is researching about stickball. And I would actually love to play stickball sometime. Um, <laughs> and yes, Spalding was a little pink rubber ball. My understanding is you could buy it for 10 cents at the store and they would take that and then they would cut off a broomstick handle and go play in the street. I think this is one thing where 21st century kids who have play dates and organized little league sports and all of this will be kind of fascinated that kids would sort of make up their own game in the middle of the street without their parents <laughs> watching. You know, they just sort of, they'd go out and play in a New York City street no parents were hovering around and you played until your mom stuck her head out the window and called you in for dinner. And I, I think that'll be really fascinating to the kids of today that there was this time when kids just sort of ran around <laughs> yeah. doing these things. It's very different from the world they have today, even in these same neighborhoods, which now are very upscale places, too, where you wouldn't have kids choosing a pothole as home plate or anything like that, right? Yeah, no. My understanding is Brooklyn today is, you know, a real hotbed and a place where a lot of things are happening. And, yeah, very upscale, very busy. And, yeah, I don't think you'll see any kids running around in the middle of the street there today. My guest is Jeff Griffin, author of Brooklyn Bat Boy a story of the 1947 season that changed baseball forever. You can enjoy more on today's story by visiting facebook.com slash Brooklyn Bat Boy or hitting Brooklyn Bat Boy on Twitter or Instagram. And remember, at BrooklynBatBoy.com, you can read the first chapter of Brooklyn Bat Boy absolutely free. 
And no, I don't get tired of saying Brooklyn Bat Boy, Jeff. So don't worry about that. The the book is that fun. And alliteration is always fun, too, especially for young people. Julie Williams at Reading by the Pond says of Brooklyn Bat Boy, quote, a great glimpse into what this time might have been like for a young fan of the game. It, of course, shows the prejudice of the time, but highlights a boy's path to discovery without being overly preachy. Jeff, I wanted to ask about that word, preachy. We just talked a little bit about the idea of confronting these concepts of race that are uncomfortable for people. You had a unique set of challenges in this book, too. One is that you're dealing with young people, so you can't be too subtle or nuanced, but you don't want to hit them over the head either. So how did you develop the spidey sense, I'll call it, for when you'd gotten the tone right? How many drafts did you go over here? Oh, many, many, many drafts. And that really is the huge challenge when you're writing a book for kids. I think we have to remember kids have adults telling them what to do all day. And the last thing they want to do when they pick up a book is have another adult (laughs) telling them what to do. They want to read to escape and have fun and learn about worlds that they don't know about and all of these things. And I think it just kind of goes back to that old saw about writing in general or writing fiction in general, which is show, don't tell. And so I tried to put Bobby in as many scenes where I could kind of show him making this progression. I think you can kind of tell when you've gone too far, when you've sort of inserted words into a character's mouth that explain a concept outright instead of finding a way to show it through a scene. So that's always a, that's always a difficult one, I think, in any fiction writing. But in this case, I wanted to show Bobby going from at first being uncomfortable with Robinson to this arc of eventually learning that Robinson was actually a hero, and he actually learns lessons from Robinson that he applies in his own life, but you don't want to spell out, oh, here's a lesson you can apply in your own life. You know, you want to keep it fun. You want to keep the story moving. So it's it's a difficult balance. There was a character in the book, a real-life man, Branch Rickey, who helped you do some of that, becomes a little bit of a mentor to Bobby throughout the course of the book, the man who brings Jackie Robinson onto the team. How did you capture that sense of awe that Bobby Kelly would have summoned when in the presence of someone that's larger than life like that? Yeah, I felt I had to have Branch Rickey in there because, I mean, he was largely responsible, in fact, almost only him responsible for bringing Jackie Robinson in in 1947. Nobody else wanted to do this. None of the other teams were willing to be the first one. Many of them weren't even thinking about it at the time, so he was very much ahead of his time. In terms of Bobby being in awe of him, you know, this was Bobby's team there in his town, and this was at a time when baseball was it. There was no NBA, there was no NFL. And I also think it's at a time in Bobby's life when you are sort of in awe of your favorite team. I can talk to anybody who's a fan of, you know, any team in any sport, and I'll say, oh, what made you into a Chicago Bears fan or a New York Yankees fan or a San Diego Padres fan? How come you follow that team? And it's almost invariably, when I was 10 years old, my dad used to take me to games. Or when I was 10 years old, this team was on TV and I used to watch the games with my grandpa. Or... When I was 10 years old, my mom and I would go to the games or whatever. And so kind of that 8 to 12-year-old range is when people sort of form a lifetime bond with a team. And that's very definitely what's happening with Bobby here. 
Brooklyn Bat Boy has been out since Jackie Robinson Day, April 15th, 2016. So I wonder, there's a stubborn belief today that you can't just be an American telling an American story of an American hero, which Jackie Robinson certainly is. What's the reaction been from readers that you're telling this story through your perspective, uh, through an Irish-American boy's eyes? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Brooklyn in 1947, I could have told this as a boy who's an Italian-American, a boy who's a Polish-American, a boy who's Jewish-American, a boy who's African-American. I mean, it was a real melting pot. People were kind of living in different neighborhoods, but it's been said that Brooklyn might have been the only place where Jackie Robinson really could have happened because everybody there was sort of knew the experience of being an outsider. They were an immigrant from somewhere else trying to become an American. And so the reason I picked the Irish American is my wife, Kathleen, is of Irish descent and had a lot of information there about history, what people would have been doing, what the family relationship would have been like, the foods, the Catholic background, everything like that. So just kind of felt like that was the best way to go in terms of my own knowledge. But it is kind of amazing to look back at that time in Brooklyn and how it was just a real melting pot. And although Bobby Kelly is fictional, you write dialogue for various real-life characters like Branch Rickey. Another one is Pee Wee Reese. And in Brooklyn Bat Boy, Reese tries to put himself in Robinson's shoes. In the case of Pee Wee Reese, he says, well, what if I was the only white player that was playing in the Negro Leagues? How would that feel? And he says, Satchel Paige was the greatest pitcher he ever faced, the legendary pitcher. So how much of that sort of dialogue is informed by the real attitudes of the players? There were some quotes that I really, as we were talking before about doing research for the book and reading histories of it, there were quotes that I pulled from those books that are attributed to those players. In the case of Reese, it's kind of two quotes put together. And I do sort of try to show the range of attitudes that the Brooklyn teammates had towards Jackie Robinson. Pee Wee Reese was, of course, at the very beginning, one of the most, I don't want to say welcoming, but willing to try it. And Eddie Stanky, there's a great quote where he tells Robinson, before we play together, I want to tell you I don't like you and I don't like this, but you're my teammate, so I'm going to support you. And then there's people like Dixie Walker and some of the other Southern players asking to be traded rather than having to play Robinson. So in terms of some of the quotes from some of the players in there, I pulled those directly from books that I had read about the Brooklyn Dodgers. Okay, Jeff, we're in the bottom of the ninth here. So let me ask you one final question. Our listeners are adults, the ones with the Amazon accounts to buy Brooklyn Bat Boy and the Spaldines. So I want to give you a chance to make your pitch. Why should they choose to put Brooklyn Bat Boy in the hands of their young reader? Well, I think as, as we talked about before, it's a truly, truly the story of an American hero. It's got good overcoming evil and everything like that. I think it's a great book for kids to get a historical perspective of where we've been in this country in terms of race and how far we still have to go. It also, again, we talked about without being preachy, shows kids that if they're willing to look at things in a new light and maybe get outside of their comfort zone a bit, they can find new things and experience new things and maybe see things in a different way. And then after all of those high-minded things... <laughs> Let me just say it's a fun book. I think kids will have fun with it. And I think that's what kids are looking for. It's got stickball. It's got hijinks. Bobby and his friends sneak into Ebbets Field. 
and it's got fun words, you know, from the period like knucklehead or knuckle sandwich. It's got baseball. So it's ultimately a fun book that I think kids will enjoy for that reason. Well, Jeff Griffin, I can back you up there as an unbiased observer that Brooklyn Bat Boy, from the cover through the entire story to the last page, the amazing story of Jackie Robinson through the eyes of a fictional boy, a real experience. Someday, maybe you and I can play stickball together. I don't yes. think we're too old yet. So yeah, we'll pick out one of those spots and head out there. But thank you very much for sharing this book. And I look forward to maybe some more adventures from you on another day. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Again, the book is Brooklyn Bat Boy, a story of the 1947 season that changed baseball forever. As always, you can find the Amazon link to purchase a copy for the bad kid on your team at historyauthor.com. And we hope you will click through there, or even bookmark the URL off the Amazon banner on our homepage. Amazon.com gives us a small percentage of every purchase you make, whether you're buying a Spaulding or a copy of Brooklyn Bat Boy, and it doesn't cost you a plug nickel. Once again, thank you to Jeff Griffin for joining us and for sharing the story of Jackie Robinson's revolution through the eyes of a kid from Brooklyn. Visit brooklynbatboy.com to check out that first chapter of Brooklyn Bat Boy absolutely free. You'll also want to toss a like over at facebook.com slash brooklynbatboy and follow at brooklynbatboy on Twitter. And remember, let us know what you think of the book and the interview on Twitter at HistoryDean or Facebook.com slash HistoryAuthor. That's it for this Boys of Summer installment of the History Author Show. I hope you'll join us for Classical Wisdom Wednesday, History in Five Friday, and next Monday's all-new interview. And remember, if you subscribe to us on iTunes, please take a minute to swing by and leave us a review. Well, until our next trip into the past together... Thanks for spending some time with us at Ebbets Field in 1947. We leave you with a 1908 Edison cylinder recording of Edward Meeker singing, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Katie was baseball mad, had the fever and had it bad. Just to root for the hometown through every two. Katie Blue, on the Saturday, her young foe called to see if she'd like to go to see a show. But Miss Kate said, no, I'll tell you what you can do. Katie, Katie saw all the games, knew the players by their first names. Told the umpire he was wrong all along, good and strong. When the score was just two to two, Katie, Katie knew what to do. Just to cheer up the boys she knew, she made the gang sing this song. Take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three, strike, you're out at the old.